2: Welcome to episode 121 of Love That Album podcast. My name is Morris. Thanks so much for joining us. This is an episode I'd intended to record in December of 2018, but I just felt very tired end of the year and just the thought of recording one more podcast filled me with extreme laziness. So here I am recording it as the first episode for 2019 and the idea behind this episode is very similar to what ended up being the last one of 2018. If you'd listened to episode 120, you know that I've gotten around to speaking to some of the great music writers of Melbourne and asking them what their favorite first time listens of last year were. And this time around, I'm going to be doing the same thing, but I am joined. Not for the first time on the podcast, but it's been a long time since he's been on. And that's my son, Max. Good afternoon to you, Max. Good afternoon to you, Dad. And uh, wonderful to have you on. I'm really very thrilled because, Mm -hmm. you know, we've been listening to music together since you were very, very young. And you have listened and branched out to a lot of other great musicians and bands. And you've put me onto a ton of great stuff. So... Mm -hmm. I thought it's about time that we had a whole podcast together, and welcome, I look forward to listening to what your choices will be. Absolutely, and uh, for those of you regular listeners, there may may or may not be another
1: occasion later on this year where you get to hear my lovely dulcet tones again. <laughs> no,
2: there, there's not May, there is definitely yes. a choice. Tr- yeah. We have picked an album oh, that did, Max we to tease them a bit. Oh, well, we've got to tease them a little bit. There is an album that we will be discussing later on in the year, and very much looking forward to that, and the only thing I'll say is it is an album that Max had recommended to me and I'm very much looking forward to really doing a deep dive on that one. But for the moment we'll be talking about our favourite first time listens of 2018. If you're new to the show first time listens means it's not restricted to 2018. It could have been something from anywhere in the history of recorded music but we discovered it for the first time last year. So That being being said all of my picks for this time are from the year of our Lord 2018. (laughs) So you can treat mine as just a 2018 recommend recommendations list and to be honest with you i think i don't go any further back than 2017 with my pick so it is all very very recent so we decided before recording that i would go first so max would go last and what we're going to do is i'll talk about an album max will talk about an album we'll go back and forth And at the halfway point, I'll play a little bit of feedback that I got from my new musical partner, Dan Kerr. I put out a call in the Love It Album Facebook group for people to write in either either something they would type in or that they record an MP3 for me with what their favorite first time listens of 2018 were and Dan was very kind enough to submit his list of favorite albums. So I'll be playing that about halfway mark through the show. So uh, let's get started. Okay, so the first album I wanna talk about is one that I actually mentioned on one of two episodes I put out in November of 2018, I went with my wife Joanne to the Wangaretta Festival of Jazz and Blues and got to see some really wonderful acts, including some that I've never heard before, and one of the acts that I saw there that absolutely blew me away was the Alex Stewart Quintet, so I want to talk about their album, Aftermath, which was released in 2017. was originally from Canberra and he trained as a guitar player at the ANU, the Australian National University, focusing on jazz studies. He graduated, I think it was about 2004, and decided that he wanted to live in a city that he thought was going to be I think his words were culturally relevant, so maybe Canberra was not the place. No offence to any Canberrians who might be listening to the podcast, but he decided to go to Paris. Uh, Although he said that New York would have been equally as relevant, but having been a long-time speaker of French, in uh, Paris obviously made good sense. So in 2017, he released what was his fourth album called Aftermath and featured the four musicians who he brought on the tour that he did in 2018 that I got to see at the Wangaratta Festival of Jazz and Blues. And I think it's worth mentioning all of them by name. On the saxophone and keyboards was Irving Akal, and I apologize if I'm mispronouncing any of these names. On the uh, trumpet, as well as on the piano and a little bit of singing, was Arnaud de Caseneuve. On the drums, I think one of the few French words that uh, I know, the batterie, uh, was uh, Antoine Bonneville, and on the bass was Uriel As I said on that episode, the thing that struck me about that particular gig was how they were really like a band of brothers, very, very supportive. If one musician did a solo, then the other members would be patting him on the back or they'd be smiling with that look on their face as if to say, I cannot believe I'm so lucky to be playing in the same band as this great musician. And really they just looked like they were so supportive of each other and may they have many years of performing and recording together. Uh, The album itself, Aftermath, was Alex's response as a musician and as a composer. To the horrific terrorist attacks that took place in Paris back in 2015. They included the shoot-up for terrorism at their Eagles of Death Metal show, and on the same evening, there was a uh, France versus Germany friendly soccer match, yes. and he's spoken in his interviews that took place after that about his bewilderment And then his anger at these events and after he'd had time to absorb it and take a deep breath he thought well as a composer i don't know if he thought necessarily as his duty but it was just this is how i wish to respond musically and to me this is an album of extreme beauty the musicianship is obviously amazing the compositions bring levels of both melancholy and hope to the listener and the band's ability to give sensitivity to these compositions require exactly what the moods of these tunes are trying to evoke and i want to mention two standout tracks for me in particular that bring both despondency in a way but then bring hope the first one is a tune called the invisible force It's a tune that starts off relatively gently with Alex playing one of two main chord sequences or motifs I guess as you call them used in the tune. There's no lyrics but they do play out a very coarse verse structure like you'd hear in a song there are vocals on the song and it's Arno who's doing like a wordless vocal the sort of thing that you might have heard in any of the Pat Metheny groups tunes where he uses a wordless singer and it's more like a substitute for an instrument and it's truly a thing of great darkness but also a thing of great beauty there's a section in the middle where the saxophone and the trumpets have rather than solos but they it's almost more like they're talking to us or they're talking to each other and it sounds very chaotic, atonal. It's it's very atonal. They're talking. they sc- they're almost like they're screaming at each other.
1: Interestingly enough, there's a recording of Charles Mingus out there with a trombonist who, you know, this is all the way back in the 50s where uh, there was a piece on an album and I I wish I could remember what it was called. Mm. The whole concept of this one piece was it was made to imitate the inflections of the human voice with bass and trombones. Right. So that sort of sounds a bit like maybe a more intense version of this
2: casual conversation versus a screaming match. Charles Mingus is a great example of that, but I'm sure there are other musicians who've gone and done it. But this sounds rather than maybe less conversational and more about the chaos and the fright that the incidents in Paris in 2015 caused. And you get this beautiful dark music with this atonal fright, like it was people who were running away absolutely panic-stricken. So I think it's clever, but it's also really dark and beautiful. Absolute brilliant piece of music. My favourite on this album, Aftermath, which is an album that, even though I've only lived with it for a couple of months, but I've played it a lot. And uh, I had no hesitation putting it on this list. And while much of the album is beautiful and tense, the band does take a little time to also appreciate the beauty of life, and that's what makes this album so great because it's not just about how things are dark, but how beautiful things can be as well if people will let them be. So there's a, a great tune called Perfume River. is carried together once again by Irving and Arno in uh, what sounds to me like a harmony inspired New Orleans type of flavour and uh, you know the the percussion it does bring some sort of New Orleans sense of rhythm to it and I I just really really love it but every cuff on this album is absolutely amazing it's jazz fusion in style in places but not in the traditional way where it's about a million notes per second. Sure. It's just about, the melody comes first and this is something that i would asked Alex about. I said, you know, you're the guitarist, you're the leader of this band and it seems like you've got the the horns doing a lot of the melody work rather than yourself. And he said, something that I've always maintained. The tune is king, the song is king, and if the song demands that the horns take the melody, then that's what he's going to do. I'm guessing... He considers himself more of the composer sure. than just the guitarist in the band. And really, this album is just one I'm madly in love with. So yeah, go search out Alex Stewart's Aftermath. And even if you're not necessarily a died in the wall jazz fan, I think that there'll be something on this for you. Just a gorgeous album. So that's my first pick. And I should also say that none of these albums, apart from the last one that I'm going to talk about, is... In any particular order. The last one I'm going to talk about is my number one favourite of the year, but yeah, all the rest of them are just equally wonderful ones I just wish to talk about. Max, your first pick.
1: Yes. On the other side of the spectrum, we have Portrayal of Guilt Let Pain Be Your Guide. So, this is an album which really focuses on having an incredibly suffocatingly oppressive atmosphere. It exudes this bipolar sort of sense of, I guess, sonic anxiety and downtroddenness, and it does both of those respectively. There's lots of segments on this album uh, where it's deep, dirge like crushingly heavy. Sorry to interrupt, but stylistically, what is... Stylistically, okay. So, Portrayal of Guild. They're a Texan band in the sort of new wave of Screamer that's popped up in the last five to seven odd years, and there's definitely, like, aspects of black metal in their sound as well as just, you know, this grinding heaviness, even, like, some odes to doom metal on certain tracks. You know, for something that's so consistently heavy and anxious sounding, it's very dynamic. Uh, The cleaner instrumental sections are still, like, driven and fuzzy, and the, the vocal styling is very versatile. Like, Borrowing these high black metal screams Anguished screaming and shouting That's more affiliated with classic screamo And then the more traditional gutturals Which you'd expect from death or doom metal The instrumentation is very varied And I'd also like to point out that the drums Especially on this album are phenomenally expressive Especially on uh, a track that you'll probably be hearing In the background right now, Your War take on the uh, Black Flag classic, My War. Do they sound Black Flag influenced? Not really, no, I mean, there's obviously, because the classic screamo sound of the 90s was an outgrowth of the hardcore thing that Black Flag were very influential in. It manages to be both melodic, but very primal as well. It's this weird, it's a very well-conceptualized marriage of black metal screamo and noise, I'd say. If you're at all a fan, Of uh, one of my favourite local bands, which I think is sort of known abroad. Diploid, I imagine there's a lot of crossover fandom between the two. It it manages to, you know, sneak elements of industrial, noisy, synth-driven stuff in there as well. In the entire, you know, rather lean runtime of 26 minutes, it it just doesn't it doesn't relent at all. It's always being either, you know, a very very brooding and caveman like with its absolute heaviness or intense and you know it feels like it's the sound that goes on inside someone's head when they're having a mental breakdown with the higher more frantic types of tunes so you know not a very long album at all not not a massive investment of your time but it's constantly varied and it
2: manages to be punishing in so many different ways so other songs all like short sharp and sharp and like one and a half minutes or are they yeah pretty much so, so it's not like five songs of five minutes each no the the track list is it's all quite quite short in the classic hardcore tradition right uh, back to you dad all right well i'm going to go way on the opposite side of the spectrum to you for mm-hmm. this this is a melbourne band called The Royal Parks and this is uh, their album from 2017 called Suburb Home. recall how i found out about them but i'm forever grateful that the music has come into my life those who know me or maybe read any of my facebook posts know that i'm a huge fan of vocal harmonies and the five members on the album cup that i've seen six in videos they sing in that way that's meant to make the hair stand on the back of your neck, uh, presuming that you have hair on the back of your neck. Now, my first thought when I heard them was that they were heavily influenced by the great band Fleet Foxes. And as it turns out, not only are they an influence, but the LA producer, Noah Georgeson, had supposedly worked with the Fleet Foxes in some capacity. Not as a producer, but I'm not sure, but I had read that the producer of this album had done some work with the Fleet Foxes, so they it was that connection? But the other thing, where I think you know, he gains huge brandy points, is he worked with one of my heroes, Bert yanch on uh, one of his final albums, Toy Balloon. So uh, that's brandy points for me. Anyway, either way, the Sanders band brings both the beautifully controlled dynamics of harmonies from Dan and Amy Arnott, and the production brings out the beautiful use of shimmer and reverb that's on these songs. They really played with beautiful delicacy. One thing that disappointed me about the last Fleet Foxes album which came out maybe two years ago it's called Cracking Up or Cracked Up. The songs had a complexity to them that I sort of admired when I first listened to it but that was not why I fell in love with the Fleet Foxes to begin with. They See, these... I kind of liked that actually. Well, no, look, that's fine but I mean why I fell in love with the Fleet Foxes to begin with was because these were memorable melodies. I mean, look, I understand bands Evolve. bands changed and they wanted to go do different things and that was great. And, and there's still a, a wonderful band in terms of the musicianship and the harmonies, but when I think about those first couple of albums where a song was just a, was a, a great memorable song that would get stuck in my head, nothing from Cracked Up does stay in my head and I'm sure there's merit to it, but it's not what made me fall in love with them in the first place. And this sounds like they're paying tribute in some way to what the Fleet Foxes started out with.
1: I liked the last album quite a lot for the fact that the songs felt less traditionally structured. They felt like they may have borrowed from classical structuring, uh, which was often, you know, because of the nature of classical often being used in ballets and, and operas, it was often the melodies were there to assist with the story, and, and I felt that sort of was a point that came across in the latest Fleet Foxes album. Each song sort of feels like a Journey, which, you know, seems appropriate to the Fleet Foxes' style. It is whimsical, it is sort of Mm Tolkien-esque a bit, Mm -hmm. and it makes each song sort of feel like its own epic journey in in a sense which it scratches a different itch to the first couple of Fleet Foxes albums but but I don't like it any
2: less for that Mm. now look you raise a good point on that as you know I think it was about this time last year that I went off to see the Fleet Foxes at the Palais Theatre here in Melbourne and I enjoyed it but I found myself sort of thinking yeah you've gone to places that I'm not necessarily as enamored with as when I first fell in love with you I mean there are other bands that have sort of gone on a journey in the way that you describe where it's not traditional verse chorus verse chorus structure and i felt it was maybe done a little bit better i can think of like a couple of tunes from english band pentangle yeah that sort of went down that road and for me worked a lot better anyway so just coming back to uh, the royal parks uh, there's a couple of tunes i wanted to single out and as it turns out i found film clips for both of these songs so these were both in whatever the 2019 meaning of the word is were singles so the title cut suburb home it captures the love of friends and suburban life which is unusual for a pop band because when you think of songs from the likes of uh, Ben Folds or the Kinks or Richard Thompson or the Monkees there's so many songs out there probably a ton of other people that sing about the blandness of the suburbs and how there's nothing to do and how some people's greatest achievement is to get their new barbecue working and in the raw park's case, and these are all young people. They're all you know, they this beautiful film clip that they have, it's very simple. It's just of people standing out their home with their loved ones, with their child, by themselves, and it's just a place that they feel comfortable and the song and the lyrics and the melodies absolutely reflected. You feel comfortable, which in some people's cases they say that's the antithesis of what rock and roll or what pop music about. This is not rock and roll, uh, but this is music of beauty and I, it's just something that I I really adore and I'm just happy that someone has gone and come along like all those other bands who I mentioned they made songs that had valid things to say but in a lot of cases the fans of a particular band will come from the suburbs they come from suburban life and you're basically sort of giving a kick in the ass to the people who've gone and bought your albums who live in the places that you're hanging shit on I mean as well yeah it sure might be a case of hey we're with you we know you have a bland life and we're sympathising with you but once again in the Royal Parks case they're taking a different road they're saying you know what our friends are here our families are here and it's a place where we feel comfortable and it's just something that I thought was really really truly beautiful and, and you know full of people that you can trust the second song i wanted to mention is called in the wrong
0: i know sometimes i didn't listen to you enough. i continued your words at least and it's off
2: it's another gorgeous song about acknowledging wrong things that we may do in our lives and wanting to make up for them and you know this is all sincere i mean i know that there have been you know probably a lot of songs out there that follow a similar sort of path but Dan Arnott wrote that he came up with the song after hearing the women in his life who he loved and cared about saying that they felt that they were never taken seriously he sings in this song asking for forgiveness and promises to do better. The clip is just headshot after headshot of women young and old uh, looking into the camera, the first part of the clip looking very serious and then the latter part of the clip looking joyous. Simplicity that goes hand in hand with the song and I just think it's a beautiful song of sincerity and mind you you could just listen to them sing the phone book and it wouldn't matter the the, the harmonies the three part harmonies are gorgeous there's that use of reverb the Royal Parks Suburb Home is an album that I urge you to seek out you can get it on CD and I'm sure on their band camp I'm not sure if they put that out on record for you vinyl heads out there but yeah just a a thing of absolute beauty and if you live in Melbourne search them out see if they've got any gigs coming up because I certainly know I want to go see them the next time they're doing the round.
1: Awesome. So, my next album is Turnstile from Baltimore, Maryland, and their 2018 release, Time and Space. <laughs> maybe in the know about punk have almost certainly heard uh, the name Turnstile and very possibly heard their music over the past few years. And I'll be honest, Time and Space was my first foray into Turnstile's music. And, you know, I was pretty instantly hooked. Here we have these songs which are short, no frills and incredibly effective at everything they're setting out to do. Uh, Like they've got these seriously addictive riffs and vocal melodies and an impressively tight and expressive mix, a very bass-heavy mix, actually. Uh, this is an album which combines sort of the mid-paced, swaggering hardcore that you might have heard in the uh, 1980s New York hardcore scene of bands like Gorilla Biscuits and Bad Brains, with some of the more melodic sensibilities of a slightly less talked about Washington scene with bands like Rites of Spring and Fugazi. And interestingly enough, it, it's also a record which brings in some possible R&B influences in some
2: parts. Hey, so when you say R&B, we're talking old school or more reason
1: I'm talking both okay especially in the song bomb which you know is arguably just an intermittent transition song Hmm. but it's still very obviously got contemporary R&B feel to it and the way the bass is played especially on songs like generator and I don't want to be blind very much feels like it's got an R&B attitude towards it and songs like one of my favorites off the album moon Like all the other songs on it is, you know, just a short burst of an addictive riff which you just wanna play over and over. Mm. That also feels like it could have some tie-ins uh, with R&B, but for maybe a different reason, maybe maybe more old school R&B on that one uh, with the uh, vocal
2: delivery. Has the R&B tied because of the vocal delivery or because it's short and punchy and catchy? Or is there a horn section? There are no horn sections on this album. There's a
1: couple of tracks which get a bit of keyboard towards the end of them but that's sort of rare mm-hmm. i think it's largely for as i mentioned with generator and i don't want to be blind it's mostly in the bass is the the bass on this record is it's really a force of nature it's it manages to be dirty and very heavy sounding but it's it grooves and it supports the rest of the album completely i think the way that vocals uh, weave in and out of the bass lines is just you know something really really special this is the type of album that you know i think i'd recommend to you know someone who's maybe a bit intimidated by hardcore or punk it's heavy enough but it's also very catchy. It's not exactly a blast from the past, but it does have a very strong ties to the old-school hardcore scenes of the 80s because instead of, you know, sort of what hardcore ended up becoming around the turn of the century, mm-hmm. uh, which is, you know, decidedly quite different in, in tone. Mm-hmm. But yeah, now this is a... Uh, A really phenomenal album. Mm. It was an early release last year. I think it came out in March or something. Right. It's a... Yeah, definitely. I'd say worth anyone's while, really. So, Turnstile, uh, Time and Space, Time and Space. Okay, and you can hear them. We're on Bandcamp, or you can hear them anywhere. They're fairly big. You can get this album off of Bandcamp. All the tracks, I believe, are officially up on YouTube. You can get a CD or a
2: record of it if you so choose. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, I've previously listed two albums from 2017. That far back. Yeah. So all the. I'm, yeah, I'm an old. school guy so the remaining three albums are all albums from 2018 the first one from th- 2018, but the third album for the show, is uh, an album from a Melbourne singer. So as I've mentioned on the Facebook page for Love That Album, in previous end-of-year shows, I'm really, really in love with the very vibrant Melbourne soul scene. And you know, mm-hmm. we've gone out to see a few of these bands. Sure. And uh, you know, we've had bands like I've mentioned on previous end-of-year shows, like you know, The Meltdown and uh, The Bamboos and uh, a great band called Cooking on Three Burners, which yes. actually I saw when they were – uh, like a Hammond organ trio they started Oh, they not that anymore no no no, they haven't been in, in years you've, you've heard the album that we have here but they've been for the last I don't know however many years they've been a, an R&B soul band and occasionally they get in I think Kylie Aldist to come and do vocals and she's a very very busy lady doing her own stuff and also singing with the bamboos and the like and probably guest starring on other people's uh, R&B albums or soul albums well that's news to me uh, well there you go so yeah we all, I ought to get you something more recent to listen to in fact I've got a couple more album so i'll play you those after we record but anyway so yeah we have a great soul scene in melbourne as uh, I've certainly mentioned in the Facebook page and probably mentioned a couple of these albums on previous end-of-year shows. Now, one band I'd not heard of, having my head in the sand, was called the 3070 Collective. And to my ears, they took on more of a contemporary soul sound. All those bands that I mentioned were more retro in their sound, more going back to a tough 60s, 70s sort of groove. Uh, 3070 sound like they have a mixture of contemporary soul and hip-hop two words which you probably never thought you'd hear from me but they had that style and I was really really impressed and next to in with really solid jazz chops. Their lead singer is a lady called Alicia Joy and I'm not sure if she's left the band or this is just a solo album that she did to fill in time in between 30-70 projects but she's put out an album in 2018 called Akedi Raw <laughs> to say is I'm a sucker for the sound of Fender Roads and I think we mm. had this conversation yes. during the week which is Alicia's piano of choice. Yep. However contemporary her music sounds, the sound of the Fender Roads will always bring in my mind to be a 1970s Throwback to the jazz fusion sounds of, of that period. Interestingly enough, I think the conversation
1: we had was in regards to um, recent fusion funk band Wolfpack Rife, right, uh, who you know absolutely sound like they're, if not a 70s pastiche, then a heavily 70s influenced fusion funk band. Well, Alicia Joy is
2: definitely not going for that retro sound, but the Fender does give it some of that old school sound yeah at least maybe a sprinkling like the the icing on the contemporary sounding cake which i said is a, is a mixture of jazz chop and hip-hop but every song goes for something different There are members of 3070 playing on her solo album, bringing, as I said, some solid jazz chops to uh, these songs, but not at the expense of the solo element or the composition. These are first and foremost great songs. It's not just about the style. The album has a really warm sound. Alicia's vocals are slightly husky in parts, and she has a manner about her phrasing that sounds a little bit like Amy Winehouse in parts, but I was saying to your cousin Mark Pearl last, night that there's parts about her vocal phrasing that reminds me of the way he sings, so he's now going to go check her out. He'll probably come back and say, no, I don't know what you're talking about. And while I've heard music of this type, and I'm sure that there's sampling and loops included, it's all blended really, really beautifully with the sound of this band. There's beautiful deep bass and the album just grooves like nobody's business. And uh, Alicia's voice sounds more like an instrument than a straight-out vocalist, and she's singing lyrics of contemporary issues that are important to her as well as you know a couple of songs about love or her modern thinking on love but it all really does sound like you know she has a lot to say about contemporary life and a couple of the highlight tracks i want to sort of bring out there's one song called know your power i think that it's probably designed to be one of the centerpieces of the album for most of the song it has this incredibly wild energy it's what sounds to me like there's alternating time signatures as you go across each bar. And I tried to do the counting, but I couldn't work it out. Maybe you could. There's a saxophone that goes absolutely wild, and Alicia's vocals about getting respect are hugely powerful. Until the coda of the song, which has a completely different feel to the rest of it, where the band almost sort of takes it easy, they take a bit of a rest, but the rest of the song is absolutely, completely wild. It's a, just an absolute fantastic powerhouse of a funk song, but in a very contemporary sense. The other song I wanted to point out was a tune called Selfish. you
0: yeah, here?
2: this song really does seem to have more of its roots in hip-hop. Know Your Power is, as I said before, more of a nod to Jazz Fusion. Uh, Selfish has a really great groove behind it. Uh, There's some beautiful fretless bass moments on this song, so something that I know that you appreciate, Max. And Alicia's double-tracked harmony vocals on the chorus uh, make the song absolutely hypnotic and it's the sort of thing that you can imagine just to, like listening to really late at night. It's just a song to wind down to, I think, uh, at the end of a high-energy night, maybe. I wouldn't be surprised if that's something that she might have closed off a live set with. It's a hard album to describe as a listener and I'm not sure if I have the vocabulary because from the contemporary R&B sense or hip-hop sense, I don't necessarily know that I have enough of that background. It's not something that I've gone to that well but it's an album that really grabbed my attention mm-hmm. uh, and it's out on CD it's out on record it's probably out on Bandcamp camp all the usual sort of streaming sites so yeah go check her out and if you're in Melbourne Pretty sure that at the time of this recording, she's got something coming up. I think either late this month or early in February. So uh, (laughs) look for her. That's Alicia, A double L Y S H A. Alicia Joy, A K D Raw. My next album comes
1: in from Philadelphia based band Nothing with last year's album Dance on the Blacktop. this is an album that you know sort of like their previous album it's dreamy and fuzzed out it's like a Bit of sound that you can really fall into, and there's definitely you know not a massive leap from the last album, but there's a, there's a few things to note. Mm. Like uh, I noticed uh, on a number of tracks, like most notably on the, the title track "Dance on the Blacktop," I sort of heard a bit of a Blue Oyster Cult influence in the uh, vocal melody approach, and, and you know just on on the subject of the harmonies in this album, whereas the uh, previous album "Tide of Tomorrow" had a fairly lead mer- melodic role. In this album, the harmonies seem to be quite carefully constructed to play more of a supporting role in the music than previously you're not going to confuse it with any other band but it has its own you know sort of new personality when i listen to nothing i'm not necessarily hoping for you know something entirely new although i wouldn't be opposed to that but i'm listening because i know that they're fantastic at you know pumping out memorable dreamy uh, shoegaze songs <laughs>
2: You introduced me to their previous album, Tide of Tomorrow, and I absolutely fell in love with that. I mean, you said they're not going to be confused with any other band, and sure, they are their own thing, but first thing I heard, like the opening couple of tracks, and I think I might have said to you at the time, they sound like older era teenage fan club mixing that really tough guitar sound with gorgeous vocal harmonies on top of it. And as the album progressed, they sort of went from the harsher sound into a more gentler sound at the back end yeah. of the record and we went to see them was it in 2017 I think I at, believe so yeah. at the Northcote Social Club and yeah. we will not go into the whole long story behind it but basically the band wasn't there with its lead singer so they had to do things on the fly and anyway I just sort of came away from that gig feeling that I mean the band were great musically but I didn't feel like they'd without the two part harmonies it's hard for them to maintain because that's such a central tenet of their identity right so I, I came away sort of I, ha- I don't think I've listened to Tide of Tomorrow since then and I more's the pity I haven't gone and to this new one I definitely want to now give this a crack yeah. but I, I shouldn't let that negative live experience sort of like leave me jaded but they are definitely a band of great talent absolutely like th-
1: this album I, I've got you know nothing but good to say about how they're as I'm sure you know they're so fantastic Building a riff up into this explosive, dreamy chorus, mm. and the textures on this album—the lush and varied guitar tones, and the combination of jangly lines with more straightforward, the chordal lines—for just these, this awesome juxtaposition of delicate melodies with these more full-on, dreamy lines—is just nuts. Uh, is that, so what, what was that again what what is it it's mwah. oh right that's what i thought you said yeah <laughs> it's it's a warm sounding album it still has this isolation and you know melancholy about it which you know is it's incredibly pretty it's just a i think it's you know a fantastic album and that's why it's one of my uh, top picks of the last
2: year fantastic All right, well, what we'll do at this point is we'll go to the one bit of feedback which I got, but I'm grateful for it. Thank you, Daniel. Uh, Thanks, Dan. Thanks, Dan. Uh, So, yeah, Dan is going to give a a brief chat to you now about his five favourite albums, or maybe it's even six, I don't remember. Anyway, his favourite records of 2018. And just as a quick plug for Dan's Facebook group called The Listening Party, Dan has a Facebook group where he encourages people to join in and start music-related discussions and they're very very heavy on the singer songwriter thing in his group so uh, if you're a fan of wanting to discover the latest and greatest in singer songwriters then the listening party is a great facebook group for you please search them out anyway i've yacked on enough max and i will be back in a few minutes to carry on with love that album episode 121 take it away dan
0: This is Dan Kerr. I'm a songwriter and a music obsessive for well over 40 years, and I'm here to talk about my favourite albums from 2018. First off is uh, Mitski's second album, Be The Cowboy. My God, I'm so lonely, so I owe follows an extraordinary 2016 album called Puberty 2, but this one covers very different thematic territory. She actually even took the unusual step of warning fans, saying that it was going to be not so personal this time around, and that tracks like one of my top songs from that year was uh, Your Best American Girl um, We're not going to be present in this album. Instead, she explores the life of a married woman longing to break free of routine and boredom. The song Nobody Sees the Wife talk of being so lonely that she opens the window just to hear the sounds of people. She's tortured by her own body, body image, um, never quite getting it right. She sings, I've been big and small and big and small and big and small again and still nobody wants me. The album's arrangements range from rock to synth-pop, but they're always incredibly melodic. Uh, Be The Cowboy closes on the incredible Two Slow Dancers. It sees the woman much older, dancing with her husband and wondering where the time went. She sings, and the ground has been slowly pulling us back down. You see it on both our skin. We get a few years, and then it wants us back. It'd be a hundred times easier if we were young again. Uh, Another wonderful new find this year was Italian band Weird Balloon, a project by someone called Luca Di (laughs) Cataldo. Facebook write up says it's best. <laughs> it's tortured English and all. The music of Weird Bloom is like an island that you don't know if exists or not. It is acid absorbed ballets of imaginary tales with twisted sounds and distorted vocals. It is rhymes and spiels. Starts, develops, ends, then starts again, concludes or not. Who knows? I personally hear a lot of psychedelic influences, as well as Bett and Particularly a personal favourite of mine, Beachwood Sparks. Uh, it's a hidden gem, and uh, I'm very glad to have found it. I'm very glad to have told you about it. Uh, some other albums that have kept me returning for repeat listens: uh, the wonderful and the very bizarre Melodies, sorry Melodies Echo Chamber. <laughs> produced by Tame Impala's Kevin Parker which might give you an idea of what to expect Uh, the standout track is Desert Horse which could possibly be my song of the year not sure yet Um, it's a bizarre exploration that for me is quintessential modular music sublimely bizarre and it just keeps evolving Dirty Projectors are also another outstanding album this year just a year after releasing that masterpiece of the self-titled album um, that was a breakup album this one that's a great deal lighter quite celebratory in some parts uh, the song I feel energy is a rollicking great track that lends much from the off-the-wall era of Michael Jackson nobody messes with time signatures like this guy Aussie Emma Louise has also created a truly original and gorgeous piece of music this year with her alter ego Thomas well yo. Had a fair idea of where we thought we'd be by drawing our plans in the schoolyard dirt, and I can say that I've been in love. Emma has pitched her vocals down into a mechanically induced baritone for the entire album. And when I first heard it, I was absolutely convinced it was a man. I had to do a lot of googling. Um, The song Never Making Plans, again, is my standout from this quite unforgettable album. And once again, the most original songwriter of our generation, Julia Holter, that's stunned again with a mammoth beast of an album that will literally take me years to come to terms with. You say over, but now the ship is gone. Julia returns after her accessible and extremely successful last album to completely confound fans with a very difficult album. This is uh, perhaps not a single song in here that you can actually recognise as a traditional song structure. Perhaps the closest artist I could compare it to is Kate Bush at her most inaccessible. The song In Gardens Mutinous is perhaps the most standard song on the long double album and uh, well worth a listen. But in the end, I think my album of the year will have to go to Brandi Carlisle and her album, By The Way, I Forgive You. You're feeling
2: nervous, aren't you, boy? With your quiet voice
0: and impeccable style Don't ever let them steal your joy
2: And your gentle ways to keep them from running wild
0: this release will be with me until my ears decide to pack their bags and even then these songs will linger like ghosts in my brain. I recommend you listen to her sing some of these songs live because it illustrates just how extraordinary that voice is. So standout tracks, oh god they're all standout tracks but the standouts of the standouts might be whatever you do that last 30 seconds it'll just tear you apart um, but possibly the song I think everyone will, will perhaps know and will be Possibly lingered with the most is uh, the song of the joke. Okay, some other artists before I go worth checking out, um, and I'm going to miss a ton or <laughs> I could have gone on forever uh, Darwin Dees, Oliver Arnold's, The Essex Green, Natalie Press, and of course, oh, Kamazi Washington, and Big Thief's frontwoman. Uh, she's also uh, got a solo release called uh, Cradle. And I can't remember her name right now. It's Adriana Linker. That's it. So anyway, that's it for me. Come and join myself and Morris and a bunch of other music obsessives at facebook.com forward slash Dan's Listening Party. We talk about lots of different stuff there. Have a great year and uh, look forward to reading other people's uh, responses on what their albums of 2018
2: are. Ciao. My huge thanks to Dan Kerr for submitting his favourite albums of 2018. And if you want to read further about the albums that he really loves, then check out his Facebook group, The Listening Party. Get involved in the conversation. All right, so Max and I are back to talk about our favourite first time lessons of 2018 in Max's case they're all 2018 albums in my case the remainder are 2018 albums so I'll start off this section of the show with an album from another Melbourne group oh good uh, this is a band called Baked Beans and their album is called Babble Babble <laughs> know too much about Baked Beans except they're originally out of Geelong and Melbourne and they were formed just a couple of years ago I think in late 2016 early 2017 their debut album came out last year on green vinyl No CDs, unfortunately, which is my preferred format. Don't poo-poo your noses out there, but it is. But anyway, I bought this because this was an album that I had to get. The band are on King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizards label, Flightless Records. So I guess there is that expectation that they are, in a similar way, part of the whole contemporary psychedelic movement. And to be fair, there are a couple of songs on the album that do sound in a King Gizzard vein. And they are paying their dues to the tradition of psych, but there's also some other things that are going on here, I guess. The psych sound is in a large part due to the production values as well as the music. There is something of that late 60s sound in how the production does on this. And it's not quite in the Tame Parlour style, but it's certainly more in the King Gizzard style. One arrangement thing that sounds to me very psych is when there are two singers performing in unison but one or two octaves apart. And that has a very psychedelic feel to me. Although, mind you, there are exceptions because that was something that Chris Difford and Glenn Tilbrook did a lot in Squeezing that out. don't sound a little bit psychedelic, but it is done here and it's employed very, very well. The other thing, I guess, that gives this a great psych feel on the songs that they wanted to do are the use of Hammond organ and Leslie Speaker. There's a lot of that going on in this album. So, I mean, there's obviously the guitar plays a strong part, but this is not a guitar hero album. This is definitely a band album mm-hmm. with you know, often good use of Hammond organ as lead instrument. There are other influences, though, on the album besides psych. There's a song called uh, Yeah, But Nah, which uh, a couple of our friends like to employ that saying. I didn't even know that yeah, was a thing nah. uh, yeah but nah uh, it sounds to me like a great tribute to the 80s Paisley Underground which obviously has its connections to psychedelia but with more of a poppier sensibility uh, another great song on the album is called Stale Motown soul vibe. It's you know, more I guess owing towards the pop sound of Motown rather than the tough sound of Stax Salt for instance. But yeah, both are paying tributes to those influences and yet it still has a very contemporary sound in some of the other songs. So the opening cut on the album is called Slow. ironically is a mid to slightly up-tempo song and that owes something to King Gizzard but also there's a little bit of a Deep Purple feel for me not full balls to the wall Deep Purple but it sounds something like maybe you know earlier Deep Purple would have gone for and possibly once again because of the Hammond organ there's something of a John Lord vibe about it and uh, yeah, just really really cool album a very fun album they put out two runs of the record I think think that the green pressing might all be sold out but the orange pressing is still available. So you can either you know go to their Bandcamp site and order a copy of that on record. If you happen to be in Melbourne, go to Pat Monahan's Rocksteady Records. Maybe he can get you a copy of the album. Or if you like to do the download thing then you can get it off Bandcamp. But certainly this is a fun record, one that I really, really enjoyed a lot this year. So hence it appears in this show. Anyway, let's go to your fourth pick.
1: Okay, so um Some of you may remember that I said earlier in the show that I'd bring up Greta Van Fleet later in the episode. They're your pick? Uh, No. (laughs) No. They are, in fact, not my pick. Okay. However, I think... In discussion of this next upcoming band, it is an important point to make. Uh, My next album of 2018 is Uncle Acid and the Deadbeats' Wasteland. Before I get to talking about the album itself, I'd just like to address the Greta Van Fleet comment I made. Greta Van Fleet have been a band that have gotten a lot of shit since uh, their debut for really dogging on the uh, Led Zeppelin style. Mm -hmm. And... No, in a way that I think not many other retro-sounding bands really have. And make no mistake about it, uh, Uncle Acid are a very retro-sounding band. They take almost all of their influence from various facets of 60s and 70s music However, I think unlike other classic rock-sounding bands such as Greta Van Fleet, Acid is really interesting for its pessimistic and retro-futuristic approach rather than, you know, this sort of blind nostalgic approach. And what I mean by that is through uh, retro-futurism, which is just uh, the concept of looking at the future from the mindset of the past, it manages to sound older without, in a way that I think a band from the 70s could... Could not have. It's much sleazier, much darker, and it takes a 21st century
2: level of pessimism to the sounds that were around in the in the 70s. Before we go any further with that, I just want to address this whole thing about taking a sense of nostalgia. I mean, just to talk about Greta Van Fleet, and I'm not necessarily saying that I'm going out and buying their album, but the fact is. How can a group of kids who are like 18, 19, 20 years old have a level of nostalgia? I mean, sure, they've gone through their parents' record collections and decided this music is the shit they really really love it and they want to emulate that and you could sort of argue they ought to be finding their own sound but there can't be nostalgia because they didn't live through it but it's something that appeals to them and yeah they're ripping it off in some respects but you know what we keep talking about nowadays about young bands they're not necessarily taking a rock tack they're, they might be choosing to do something with I don't know, uh, sampling or... Uh, look, I'm, I'm going to get myself into trouble here. But the fact is, we have a group of young kids there who picked up instruments and decided to play. I mean, this is something that Dave Grohl aggressed. It's been a popular meme for the last few years where Dave Grohl had said, what we went and did was, you know, we had three guys in a garage and we made a rock record. We made music and that's what happened. And Greta Van Fleet, they haven't looked to the present or to the future to do it. And that's not to say that they might not do it somewhere down the road. But... But it's a group of, let's face it, very skilled musicianship. Yeah, sure, they've gone to their parents' record collections and they've tried to emulate it a little bit too much. But I find something good in the fact that these kids have got great musicianship, have decided to make a rock record. I do
1: admit that I take some level of objection to the way that Greta Van Fleet has been, you know, reviewed. I do agree that Sears' album was kind of a shit show, but I take objection to some people's reasoning as to why I am personally of the belief that taking inspiration from past isn't inherently a bad thing. Every generation does it. Yeah, I think that what Greta Van Fleet put out, however, is very uninspired. I mean, even if it was released in the 1970s, if Led Zeppelin put out this album in their heyday, Mm -hmm. I'd still say it was a shitty album. Okay, so your objection is
2: that the songs aren't particularly that great. They're
1: all style, no substance, and they're style can't really even carry itself anymore in today's day and age like it possibly could have in the 1970s okay
2: well however let's, let's bit- talk about something you do like let's talk yeah. about acid yes I'm-
1: getting back on track. So, I think this new album, it retains some of the essence of previous albums, but it really plays with the formula. So, the previous album, I always sort of described it as sort of sounding like the soundtrack to a sleazy 60s British exploitation horror film, something like Horror of the Wax Museum or Keeping Tom. And while, you know, it doesn't share the characteristics of the actual soundtracks of those albums, it perfectly emulated the feel. This new album, it has a similar thing going, but it sounds more like it could have worked as a soundtrack to some... 70s italian thriller or giallo mm-hmm. yep he's really good at establishing a catchy riff and just building on it expanding on it through the vocal melodies and the instrumental build-up another thing that was a big tenant of uncle acid's sound for the longest time was there was a definite beatles gone bad
2: sort of vibe i think at the time when you played it to me first and our good friend tim merrill had yes. also raved about it first thing i thought was wow this sounds like a mixture of a Black Sabbath and the Beatles combined, you know, say, circa White Album period. The lead singer has a very John Lennon-style tone about his voice. Think Even a bit of early Aussie. Yeah. But, yeah, I really, really enjoyed that album a lot. And
1: I remember it was, you know, another interesting aside, I believe I saw in an interview with him, he said for a lot of the melodies and the harmonies, he was inspired by 60s girl bands like the Ronettes. Really? Yeah. Wow. Now, that I would not have picked... This album, you know, there's still a Beatlesque element to it and there's still a bit of Sabbath worship. Uh, they're still there, but I think they're less so, and it introduces interesting, newer influences. I heard some Candlemas and Merciful Fate, but I also heard some Stooges oh, wow. in it. While, and, and they still maintain an actually wholly unique voice, despite the fact that they sound like they're from a different time. They still sound completely like their own band. Uh, there's no other band out there that has you know this same signature mesh of stone and metal and... 60s pop and hard rock. It's it's very exciting sounding. Dark but exciting, you know, and as I mentioned, in a very 70s drive-in Italian-style cinematic way, you can, you know, close your eyes and you can see neon lights and rain-swept streets and, right. it's, and like, just a, a murder mystery un, unfolding behind it. And, you know, in traditional Uncle Acid style, it's a great combination of exciting mid-to-up-tempo tunes and slower, more brooding tracks uh, which will bring in organs and pianos mm-hmm. very very highly recommended okay
2: so what was the name of this new album again this album is wasteland okay well i definitely want to search that one out because i love the last one mm-hmm. that you uh, introduced me to my final pick for the show and it's you already know this i've already gone and yes told you this right. but i think blind freddie would know that this was going to be my pick for the year and it's kamazi washington's Three CD, three records said, Heaven and Earth. What an album. So back in 2015, you tried to convince me to listen to... Kendrick Lamar's album, To Pimp a Butterfly. Yes, that's now, right. It's not going to be a popular thing for me to say, but it's not musically in my wheelhouse. Ooh, shun the non believer. <laughs> Look, I appreciate that it's an important album, with Lamar rapping about political issues and race issues, and I'm not denying that it's... I'd say
1: musically, and I'm sure lots of people would back me up on this, but it's amongst the most important 21st century hip-hop albums out there, you know. and it's going to
2: have a long, long long-lasting effect, as will pretty much all of Kendrick Lamar's discography. Anyone who's gone and posted about this album in Feed My Ears or online or anyone who I've spoken to has all said that the Pimper Butterfly was as brilliant as you're saying it is there and that's fine and I may come back to it. I may decide to be more adventurous this Mm -hmm. year. However, two people associated with that project were people that mm-hmm. I did become a big fan of. Now, yes. one of them was Stephen Bruner, a.k.a. Thundercat, yes. who you and I did go to see at a fantastic show at the Prince of Wales Hotel last year. We did indeed, and uh, there was a big uh, big poll in the way of me see- actually seeing him. That is the way of the Prince of Wales Hotel, unfortunately. We both love that. Stupid structural support. Yeah, well, yeah. but you bring the right act, and people will come no matter how yeah. many... Structural supports there are in that hotel. That being said, at the same show was uh, the very man who you are talking about at
1: the moment. Uh, no, there wasn't. He we was. Weren't. He was in the room. He didn't uh, play. Okay, all right. He, he, he didn't play. But uh, I had a friend who was doing the same uni course as me that year, who showed up to that
2: show and got a picture with him. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Well, like I was saying, the whole show I was saying, yeah, yeah, he'll show up, Kamazi, because Kamazi Washington was in town at yes. the time, and I was so we couldn't get to the Kamazi Washington gig, but we could get to the Thundercat gig and I said yeah yeah for sure he'll show up for sure he'll show up and I'm not gonna say I was disappointed because it was a fantastic show but ideally would have loved it if Kamazi had jumped on stage with Thundercat and played on one cut but it wasn't to be but there you go you said that one of your friends had seen him in the audience we didn't. Anyway, so you and I first got into him when he released his three-album set and he seems to this seems to be a thing. He released two, three-album sets. How prolific is he that? He doesn't do recordings by hard. No, he does not. Although he did do an EP somewhere yeah. in, the, in the time that was maybe... Trading. What a slacker. But, what a slacker. <laughs> so he released uh, his three-album set, The Epic, and I don't remember who introduced it to me, but I was completely blown away when i heard this you know just the scope how many people put out three album sets and there's always this thing about even great double albums there's always these discussions online or articles written about well how much could we have cut to make one truly brilliant single album so you know double albums come in for a lot of flack and there you go he put out two triple album sets that were just amazing in their scope. I wouldn't shave anything off this one. There are a a handful of tracks that don't work for me as much as the others, but hell, he's Kamasi Washington. He's got this great scope. He's got this great idea as to what he wants to do.
1: I I don't think it'd be an exaggeration to say that he's certainly uh, one of the uh, most unique and exciting voices in contemporary jazz. Certainly turned the sound around uh, more than just about anyone I can think of in the past, however many years.
2: There's some jazz critics out there or some people out there who are saying that in fact he's working in standard styles and they don't sure. ne- they don't necessarily think that he is worthy to be spoken of in terms of that he's creating something really new. And I can sort of see why they might say that but I think on the other hand he's doing it with these really huge bands he hears whole jazz orchestras in his head and on top of that he hears choirs in his head yes. a lot of these songs have I don't know whatever it is 20, 30 piece choirs that, which is a sound that you don't tend to hear on many records I mean I'm tending to think of one of the tunes from Vince Guaraldi. Yes. Uh, I can't remember which one, Christmas Time is Coming, I think it might have been. This choir where it's all done more in a unison sort of way, but it's this big, beautiful sound. And for that alone, no one else is doing that. No, absolutely not. And positively, for the scale of economics, how many other people are going to have these albums with... 30-piece bands and 30-piece choirs. And now, I can't legitimately think off the top of my head of, of
1: any other jazz performers or band leaders in the past who have used the intricate and interesting voicings that Kamasi Washington does. Yeah, sure, he's, he's standing
2: on the shoulders of giants, but he still is a giant. He is a giant. He thinks big and he composes big. And, yeah, sure, there are influences. I mean, some of the giants who... You're talking about who'd be standing on the shoulders, are some have gone and compared him to John Coltrane sure. in terms of the complexity of his arrangements. And if you're a jazz musician out there, and I'm not a jazz musician, so I can't say, please write in and say, well, yes, he is, or no, he's not for this reason. But I sort of think, as well, in terms of the scope of what he's doing, the, the very spacey sound that he's doing, that Sun Ra oh, would, would be an influence. And I'm sure there have been people who've written about that, but for that alone, Huge thanks to Kendrick Lamar. I want to just quickly go over one track from each of the three albums, make mention of those cuts. A little bit of a thing about when the album originally came out, it was advertised as being a double album, and mm-hmm. that was you know, the same with, regardless of whether you bought it on record or whether you bought it on CD. And then when I bought the CD, I felt like the middle panel, so it was like a triptych, you open it up, three panels, and behind the third, one I thought, hang on, does this feel like there's a CD behind here? And I could see that it was sealed nice and tight, but I did a little bit of looking on online and there was some suggestion that there might be a third cd behind that third panel so i got your mother to get out the standard knife and very carefully cut and boom there was a third cd in there and i went and wrote to our friend dan and who'd gone and bought the records and said check the vinyl see whether there's a third album in there he was i think a little skeptical at first and he said Buy Gingo, by jingo by crikey yes there is a third album in there so the first album in the set is called earth the second album is called heaven and then the third one is called the choice so it could be seen as either being the choice you make in being grounded on earth or spiritually enlightened for heaven or it could be the choice as to whether you take a Stanley knife and decide to cut open the third album in the set or whether you leave it where it is a bit of a novelty but anyway we did it without wrecking the packaging Mm -hmm. so let's talk about one cut off each of the albums so the first cut (laughs) on the earth album is one that's been spoken a lot about on the online forums and it's a cover. It's the title track from the Bruce Lee film Fists of Fury. <music> For the first time late last year, I mean, I'd seen Enter the Dragon countless times, but had not watched any of the three Hong Kong films that are mostly spoken about so i got round to watching fists of fury and there are a few covers across the three albums set but this one certainly seemed like a really really inspired choice this cut the way i was performed is so perfect because it sounds so like it was so much fun to record there's a lot of hand percussion on this and there's a lot of that choir element that Mm. i was mentioning and it really sounds like if, you, if I hadn't known that this of Fury was the theme from a 70s martial arts film, I would have thought this sounds like it belongs in a 70s exploitation film. And that's certainly where he goes with this. Just sounds completely badass with a great piano solo from Cameron Graves and Kamazi Washington's own solo. He starts off slow before building up into a chaotic frenzy with his saxophone solo. And it's just a great combination of soul and jazz. The second cut I want to mention is from the second album in the set called uh, the album is heaven and the tune is called journey This is another cut that features lead vocals from singer Patrice Quinn who also sings on Fist of Fury and she wrote the lyrics to Kamazi Washington's music. It's a very spiritual lyric to a tune that's far more musically laid back. It's really beautiful and almost sad melodically. I wouldn't say it's melancholy, but there's just something about it that almost makes it sound wistful. There's a great solo on the trombone from a fellow called Ryan Porter, an organ solo from uh, Brandon Coltman, and Kamazi Washington does his saxophone solo, as one would expect. Even for something as Sunday morning laid back as this, it really still swings like crazy. Uh, In my head, I could almost hear like a stripped back version of this being done with just a piano jazz trio so piano double bass and drums it would work really well in that ensemble and I wouldn't be surprised if Kamasi has gone and done gigs in that fashion I'd love to know about it but I'd love to hear this approach and with the choir it also reminds me of Max Roach we have that Mm -hmm. we have that uh, a couple of Max Roach albums what was the one The, the, the gospel influenced I've forgotten but it has Motherless Child on it and this sort of reminds me of the feel of the that album so the final cut i want to talk about is from the choice and there's a couple of covers on there there's a cover of will you still love me tomorrow the carol king song and that's been covered by countless people i don't know that that necessarily works that sounds a little bit too easy listening for my like but the one that i really do love is a tune that has been covered by a lot of people the song is called "Ooh child hearing it in the 70s I think. She lived locally but originally from the States called Marsha Hines but there's been a lot of uh, great covers by it and it was originally done by a group called The Five Stair Steps but a famous version of it was done by Nina Simone and she did a really gorgeous cover of it. The Kamasi Washington version has a, a very spacey feel to it and when I say spacey I mean as in sci-fi and Sun Ra I think would have appreciated this cover of it. What I like about Kamasi Washington's approach to it, you listen to these lyrics and the song has always been something that presented optimism. So you all often sort of thought, well, yeah, the world might be a bit of a shit show, but the lyrics are, you know, things like, ooh, child, things are going to get easier. Ooh, child, things will get brighter. But Kamazi's arrangement takes more of a minor key approach. The original song is in a major key. This is done more in a minor key. So you get the feeling that the singer is sort of, you know, trying to convince their child, don't worry, we might have a really tough life, but I believe that things will get easier. But you really almost sort of think that, the singer isn't quite convinced of what it is that she's singing but she has to try and make things a little bit more convincing for the child that she's singing to and I love those songs where the music tells you one thing and the lyric tells you a completely different thing. I think that this is a very clever approach and especially in 2018 when this was recorded and the world is going through a bit of a shit show at the moment. I think that this song was a perfect one to cover in the way that it has been done so really Kudos to Kamazi Washington and his band for performing it in this style. But yeah, look, heaven and earth. There's been a lot of people out there who've been talking about it. And I just love the fact that probably because of his association with Kendrick Lamar, that people who may not normally listen to jazz are paying attention to him, and people are going to see him who may not have ever seen a jazz gig. Fantastic. Kudos to that. But the the long time jazz fans can get something out of it, and if it's introducing new people to jazz, then I just think that's absolutely brilliant. And I'm just so on board with what. Can as washington does looking forward to whatever it is that he does next i wouldn't be surprised if he says right yeah my next album's gonna be a five album mm-hmm. set and i'm gonna do my interpretation of lord of the rings i don't know Mm. whatever anyway that's my favorite album of the year so max i'm not sure if you've got a favorite album of the year that you're talking about or just uh this isn't necessarily my favorite
1: it's just another really good album that i enjoyed very much Mm -hmm. and this is from sheffield england's rollo tomasi this is time will die and love will bury it thing about this album, I'd say it's a particularly unpredictable album that's very dynamic, and by that I just mean it really seamlessly weaves these beautiful floating tracks and choral harmonies with dark cranial and complex and, you know, sometimes even really crushingly heavy pieces. Well, so stylistically who
2: could you compare some of it to? to music?
1: It's very difficult because they are a particularly unique band. Mm-hmm. You could possibly compare them to, in some ways, to Converge or the Dillinger Escape Plan. Okay. Uh, I don't think they're as savage as either of those, especially not in this album. There are parallels to be drawn, and this is a very t- textured album through the use of the whole sonic spectrum and really interesting tonal interplay Uh, they also use synthesizers to really great timbral effect as I said it's always melodically unpredictable and the way the songs are structured feels really genuinely epic in scale I'm not sure if this was a double album I've only listened to it digitally but it's about 55 minutes Mm -hmm. and you know it's it's very dynamic And, and you know despite itself and all its experimentation all the music is genuinely very memorable and it's also also the kind of album that really balances various genres so like the aforementioned mathcore with r&b post-hardcore jazz progressive rock and becomes really more than the sum of its parts like an event. Mhm. So it's a very big epic sounding album. It's constantly building and releasing tension and I'd also like to mention that in amongst all the fantastic instrumentation that this album has to offer, particularly the drumming is very unique and so well suited to the music and it really ties all the otherwise very disparate elements of the music
2: together really perfectly. So what is it about the drumming? Is is it particularly explosive? Is it complex? or is it just tight and simple or it's, neither? It's a lot of
1: things. It's explosive and, and frantic when it needs to be but often it sounds to me kind of tribal and it has a way of just Tying everything up because everything else, I think, you know, if you didn't have the drumming the way it was, it would just sort of float away. But by virtue of the fact that the drumming on this album manages to weave through all the time signatures and through all the stylistic shifts. In such a creative manner. It really stands out as something particularly special Terrific. as well as um, the really beautiful angelic vocals as compared with the much heavier screamed vocals on certain tracks by their lead vocalist whose name I don't recall.
2: That's okay. So Rollo Tomasi. Uh, yes, Time Will Die and Love Will Bury It. Well, we got through it. We got through our five albums each of the year, so,
1: <laughs>
2: so I'll let you go and list any of your honourable mentions.
1: There was just so much great stuff out this year that I just couldn't confine it all into five picks. I'll just give a couple of sentences about each of these. Sure. Uh, I have here the Dead Space and Happy Days split album from this year. Mm -hmm. Dead Space is an Australian band and one of the most interesting think, heavy bands coming out of Australia. And that's really saying something because we've got a phenomenal scene down here. But yeah, if you wanted to talk about them, in a word, they're depressive black metal, but they sort of outshine their peers a lot in that through being very melodically experimental and taking things from all sorts of different music and incorporating that into their core style. And of course, uh, if you're familiar all with depressive black metal, Happy Days is another very big name a slightly older name in that scene So both sides of this split Were filled with Anguished, really Torturous pieces That are melodic but Aggressive and you know, really fantastic My next honourable mention Zee Leonardo, Stranger Fruit Zee Leonardo are an American Band which combines Traditional blues Roots African American Americana, chain gang music With some black metal influences It works so well. This is a really stunning album. A later discovery for me was Svalbard's It's Hard to Have Hope, which is a very effective melodic crust album. Uh, Young Mountains, Lost Tree, fantastic Swedish screamo with black metal and with post-rock aspects, and Ostraka's Enemy, which is another really good screamo
2: release from this year. That's all I have. Right. Well, I'm going to go through all my screamo albums oh no I don't have any okay so I'm going to list just a few things that are actually well most of them are compilations actually I might sort of quickly list the things that are not compilations so the first one is an EP and once again this is related to a band that I spoke about in the Wangaratta Festival of Jazz and Blues episode in November this is an EP from a group called Opelousas which features three Melbourne based musicians all very well known in their own right ferrier who are actually more of the singer songwriter country vein combining vocal talents with kerry simpson who is huge on the melbourne blues scene and they're backed up by great drummer anthony short x of cod greens and gravy and they're doing a really low down dirty blues style their ep is called opelousas baby bernard purdy and friends this is an album that came out in 2017 but if you're a fan of jazz and funk and soul music from the 70s, then the name Bernard Purdy is no stranger to you. If you don't know who Bernard Purdy is, just look up Bernard Purdy Drum Instruction on YouTube. There is no more charismatic drummer out there teaching drumming styles. And he even named a shuffle after himself, the Purdy Shuffle. Drummers know him and love him, and other musicians should know and love him. He put out an album called Cool Down, Bernard Purdy and and Friends. Very, very funky stuff. So check that one out. Cool down from Bernard Purdy and Friends. A couple of compilations I want to mention. One's called How Is The Air Up There? And this came out, I think, pretty early last year. I think you can get it from Frenzy Music. This is a compilation of New Zealand pop bands from the 60s, but with a very, very tough style. We spoke earlier on in the year with Ian McFarlane about a compilation that came out, which was basically every record that had come out on the Go Records label, but Go Records are a Melbourne-based record label. It has a lot of great songs on there from the Go Records label. And they were very, very poppy in their approach. I mean, maybe that's underselling it, but a lot of the songs on How Is The Air up there is more bluesy, bass, more tough in uh, their approach. And yeah, I really, really enjoyed this. The Lardy Dars, The Action, Johnny Devlin, just a lot of really great bands on this compilation, three CD compilation with a fantastic booklet giving the history of New Zealand R&B from uh, the 60s. How is the air up there which is named from a Ladi daz Da's song? And the final CD I want to make mention of, and I'll probably be mentioning more about this in February's episode of See Here. Uh, This is an album called Unusual Sounds. And also got a great album called The the Library Music Film, the soundtrack to The Library Music Film, which we'll be talking with its director on See Here in February. This album, Unusual Sounds, I don't think it came out like as a companion to that film because The Library Music Film soundtrack is that. But this is another great album from the anthology Records label which I think is out of New York this is just basically a compilation of artists who uh, I'm not sure if they're all from the KPM music label but a lot of them are Uh, the most famous one is Keith Mansfield and everyone out there knows funky fanfare but there's a lot of really great stuff on there if you don't know anything about library music as I didn't up until a few months ago I heard a lot of the cuts on this album and thought hang on I know this tune I know that tune I know the other tune and it's basically music for films that haven't been filmed yet and We'll be talking more about what library music is and why it was written on February's C here. You can get the impression that I'm trying to convince you to listen to our episode, but that's fine. But this is a genuinely great compilation. Some uh, fantastic stuff on here from the likes of Keith Mansfield, who I mentioned, Electric Machine, Class v So just really dig into that. Unusual sounds easily obtainable. Uh, I'm not sure that the library music film soundtrack is easily obtainable. I think they did two pressings, and once they're gone, they're gone. Certainly the film will be coming to a festival near you and will hopefully i I believe it's actually out on dvd already and i'm not sure if it's already on a streaming platform yet but certainly a film that you need to watch Anyway, so there you go. There's my honourable mentions for the year. So at this stage, I want to say, Max, yes? it's been way too long. We should have had you on this podcast a long time ago. So I think I'm going to ask you to come back later on this year to talk about an album that we've already predetermined. Okie dokie. We're going to we're gonna talk about. Now, I'm going to let you have this opportunity for both my listeners Ooh. to talk about your latest musical project.
1: I have a band called This is a Place for Dead People. You might have picked up a Pattern through some of my picks that I particularly like, Screamo and Black Metal. So completely out of character for me, I married those two in our music. We have a demo up on Bandcamp on Bandcamp forward slash This is a Place for Dead People. And we also have a Facebook page if you enjoy at all bands like Page 99, Orchid, Ghost Bar, Zasthor, or, you know, are just interested in melodic heavy stuff with uh, uh screamy vocals uh, then uh, i'd employ. please give us a try we're all very very proud of this demo and we're hoping to get some more stuff out very soon
2: fantastic well we'll uh, be playing one of the cuts over the close of this show so people will get an idea as to what you do yep and hopefully you'll be playing some gigs later on in the year we'll certainly be posting it up on the love that album page. Mm-hmm. Thank you very much. I know that you've come a long way yeah. to uh, talk with me on this podcast. It's very rare that I actually get to talk with someone in the same room. And mm-hmm. I know that you've come a long way. Anyway, uh, I'm not sure what's happening in February. I might actually take February off. Not sure because as you know, one podcast a month is just too much work for me. I might need to take a break, but I might put something up. Don't know. Anyway, until February or March of 2019, I implore you all to be nice to each other. Look after each other. These are difficult times. I say this a lot on the podcast, but These are difficult times. Please be nice to each other. Listen to music with each other. Watch a great film with each other. Give someone you love a hug. In the words of the immortal Bill and Ted, be excellent to each other. Be bodacious to each other. And until next time, cheers. Yeah, bye. Bye.